All right, James, first question I ask is the boring one, but it tends to give us great uh, information <clears throat> into your backstory. What What is your franchise story? How do you, how do you fall into franchising? <laughs> I'm sure it's everybody's favorite question. Um, and and I, I very much fell in, like most of the rest of the world has, uh, into franchising in 2015. So started with um, a now very large franchise company, but what was at the time a very small uh, and just emerging concept was cycle bar franchising. So I ran into, um, just coming out of college, I'd worked for a while in private wealth management, um, have a, uh, a finance degree, was going to join a big bank and um, decided that wasn't for me uh, as I was you know, getting ready to move on to the next step of life. And um, lucky enough, ran into the team that was at the time developing cycle bar franchising. They were looking for uh, young and we'll call uh impressionable, gritty uh, individuals who wanted to jump into something cool and fun. Um, and that's what I did. I, I joined uh, Cycle Bar Franchising at the time, um, the St. Gregory Development Team, back in 2015. Um, worked on Cycle Bar Franchising, a number of the different brands there for a number of years, um, growing with them from 15 to 18, uh, and then went off uh, in a bit of my own direction with uh, another partner of mine, uh, Chris Mybers, who I think you, you know and have talked to before. Um, and have really just been in this franchising world ever since. So I uh, didn't know anything about it before my, my first foray in. Um, kind of got thrown into to everything um, in the franchising world. As you, know, as, as you probably know, as I'm sure a lot of people have followed in the past, Cycle Bar was an extremely fast-growing brand at the time. Um, you know, the team was moving hundreds of units, and you know, we were on the side, um, myself specifically, on the side of supporting franchise partners. So I had the privilege of working with a few hundred um, early franchisee partners at Cycle Bar Franchising, helping them do a myriad of things, um, secure real estate, secure their financing, um, plan for build out and then prepare for grand opening. Um, so I learned a lot in that process uh, and have kind of been jumping around brand to brand ever since doing my best to uh, learn what I can about, about good franchise growth. But yeah, it all started in 2015 with uh, Cycle Bar Franchising. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. So, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask some pressing questions on this because I, th I think it'll get to, you know, part of, part of the why you, why now and where you're at today. If we look backwards on, on St. Gregory group, at least the perception of the industry was this is a fast accelerator mm -hmm. and, and there it's not wrong to grow at that pace because franchisors come out of the gate with these giant expectations. And so all, all, a St. Gregory group or any of the fast accelerating uh, FSO type businesses, they're plugging the brands mm. into broker networks or hitting organic hard and they're go, 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 go. Along the way though, uh, if the franchisor doesn't properly capitalize the business, then the resources to support the franchisees go down and that mm. creates tremendous risk on the business. And so you, fresh into the industry, you're thrown into this where probably at that point, you don't have a different <clears throat> viewpoint. You haven't seen the other side. You think this is, this is just normal. Like let's go sell the hell out of a franchise as you've continued on your career and adjusted your way of thinking, where does it, where is it today when it comes to growth after you saw all of those different things as a part of a fast paced accelerator? Yeah, it's the perfect question. And it's the one that has, it led me away from one type of franchise growth and towards the type that we focus on now. Yeah. Um, to your point, I, I didn't know, we didn't know a whole lot else in those days that the industry was growing extremely fast and North cycling was 
extraordinarily attractive. Um, we were, you know, we had so many candidates coming to the door. Um, it was, you know, a lot of the fast paced growth was, was coming our direction. Um, and we learned very quickly a lot of ways in which we, we don't want to franchise and help brands franchise going forward. And that was, to your point, a, a crash course um, in a lot of things. I learned a lot over those years um, and have now taken them into more of an appropriate growth phase, working with brands and franchise partners who want to grow more appropriately and understand the value of a, a slower growth process. Um, so that took me from you know those three, three and a half years um, with St. Gregory and some of the brands out of that portfolio um, into a more direct portfolio of brands that was looking to um, avoid the broker networks in a lot of ways, um, but more importantly, create an appropriate growth path that benefited themselves uh, as well as the franchisees, the, the franchise partners who were investing in their growth. Um, so we've, you know, I, I partnered up with, I mentioned it a minute ago, um, another individual who was with me uh, at St. Gregory at the time, uh, Chris Myers was the CFO of St. Gregory Development Group and um, CFO of Cyclebar and a couple other brands. Um, and he and I went into a, a new, a bit of a new foray and a path um, where we decided that, you know, we're going to stick to what we know best about franchising, which is building um, the strong foundation for a franchise system, a franchise program, um, a well-founded franchise team, uh, and then establishing some real structure around how that brand should grow. Um, you know, we know now that not every brand, uh, most brands shouldn't ever think about, uh, you know, celebrating that 100 units sold, 200 units sold mark. Um, they need to be more appropriate in the way they think about um, bringing the right franchise partners in and deciding for their own balance sheet, projected pro forma budget, et cetera, um, what does make sense in terms of new system growth uh, and new unit development. A lot of our concepts now, Nick, we, we look at them and, and we say, hey, where and what can we sustain? And typically we'll see concepts that we work with who are, you know, Cycle Bar in 2015 was you know, three units um, that were open. A lot of our brands today are in a very similar situation, um, less than 10 units open, great concepts, strong unit economics, you know, really good founders, um, but limited teams, small teams, limited capitalization, um, limited bandwidth, and with big dreams of growth. And it's our, our task now is to make sure that we help them avoid um, some of those pitfalls they can step into should they be allured by um, the fast-paced growth and high-volume franchise sales world um, and have really decided to partner with brands who want to do so more appropriately. Uh, and we start from the very beginning, which is strong foundation, strong pathway and plan around economics, um, and then a strategic pathway towards, um, you know, hey, if, we, if one of our brands in the next couple of years, you know, they, we sell five award, five, 10 units a year, and we're opening, you know, over the next five years, 30 units, um, a lot of times that's an appropriate growth pace, um, which allows the franchisor to be able to have plenty of benefit on, nor on their end, um, but also the franchisee to maximize what is coming to them uh, in an emerging system. And that's um, to the point, I think we learned a lot about what we don't want to do in franchising uh, in 2015, 16, 17. I uh, have now done our best to, to build a portfolio of brands, the franchise department, which is growing more appropriately uh, and has different vision for where they want to be uh, on a 10 year pace than some of the concepts we worked with early on. I love, I love that pathway. And again, I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to grow at that, at that pace. I, I understand why it happens. And I think that's where franchising ends up having multi-layers. Like if you, if you look at a brand that wants to sell to private equity, right, mm -hmm. wrong, or indifferent private equity, likes seeing units sold, 
Like that's part of how they value the business. So if you're, I'm going to exit this in three years, I'm going to turn, turn on an accelerator. I don't care whether those franchisees are successful or not. I'm just going to hit these numbers. I'm going to exit the business. And they're, you know, with 4,000 franchisors, there are plenty that have that viewpoint. But if mm -hmm. you really, if you zoom back, zoom out, and you say, how can we build a sustainable business? What you just said is, let's establish a foundation. Let's make sure the, the founder is, is a core founder, can actually have impact, impact founder. Um, and then you start growing. And the reality is, I can I can show you a math, math pathway to 100 units where mm -hmm. you have one, this year, next year you have two, the year after you have four, the year after you have eight, the year after you have 16, then you have 32 sold, and then you have 64 sold. And so over the course of a six-year period, you can go from one to 100, and your franchisees are continuing to validate because you continue to deploy the resources back to the system. Again, like I think that the challenge is if, if a franchisor is properly capitalized and can totally mm -hmm. support that, that level of growth, um, great. The other thing that I think is important to note, and I've, I've, I've said this a few times when I've talked with people on, on this thing, I, in, a, in a broker world, uh, commissions go up as you increase the unit count. And so mm -hmm. I've seen the deal that is, you know, 20, 20 units sold, franchisee never even opens up unit two. Unfortunately, that franchisee is now out a significant portion of their life savings that got tied up in mm -hmm. fees. And the franchisor isn't the one that took it. It's actually the broker and then the, the FSO that took it. So it's like, it's super complex. And so I think it's cool to watch, like you're watching the progression of your career into how you've created this business. This is actually why I, I labeled this on purpose, meet the Zor, not meet the supplier, because the reality is the fractional support that you're giving to these franchisors, you're, you're, you're occupying a seat with them. You're not just you're not just a that's widget right. that's selling. That's why I, I put it into that category. But any comments on that before we move on to talking about your business? Yeah, that's exactly how we intended it, Nick. I mean, we, we know, um, again, we kind of fell into franchising 10 years ago, not knowing exactly what it was or how it could function. We learned a lot of things, you know, a lot of things not to do. We met a lot of people who were punished by a system that should have been rewarding them. Uh, and that dictated a lot of what we decided to do going forward. And Chris and I come at this and we've got a much larger team now we've been building over the last few years. Uh, but for a while, it was just he and I meeting great founders who wanted to grow their businesses, um, some of whom already were trying to and had gotten, unfortunately, really bad advice and are now digging their way out of um, poor validation and lack of systems, lack of capitalization, et cetera, et cetera, um, and a handful of others that are just asking themselves the question, you know, why franchising still? And we've been lucky enough to be able to meet them early, get ahead of, hey, here is what we've seen that can potentially, you know, our, our one goal, we have a lot of clients that tell us, James, I don't want to hate my life in 10 years. How do I make sure that that doesn't happen? Um, and we make sure we put those pieces, try to put those pieces in place up front to ensure they don't just start to run um, before they're ready to do so. And it's from a you know, a lot of it does, again, I, I benefit significantly from my, my business partner's CFO background, his ability to look at a business model um, and coach a franchisor and a founder on, hey, here's how we can grow sustainably. There is a lot of benefit here, um, but we take away that, you know, a lot of the times we take away that, that three-year private equity vision and replace it with a 10-year a sustainable growth plan, helping them understand that, hey, you build a great business locally, regionally. Um, if you really want this thing to to exist in a way in which franchising was established to exist, which was 
great benefit for yourself as well as the partners that help you grow um, on the franchise level. It can be done, um, but there are strategic steps you must take to get there. And we, we do really, you know, uh, to your point earlier, a fast-paced growth brand can be a great thing. Um, consultants and brokers for some brands can be a great thing. Um, they are unfortunately, they, can, they tend to be quite a detriment um, to the brands that we work with simply from a, a cash flow perspective. We, you know, we look at it and we, we look at the, the numbers very clearly and understand that this founder, this team, these franchisees, if they want to benefit from the growth of the system, we cannot grow um, with, a, with 60, 70% of our commissions being essentially withdrawn from the account before they ever hit um, anybody's balance sheet and have ability to benefit a system. At the same time, we really shy away from multi-unit deals. Um, we like to work with franchise candidates early on. And it's something we talked a lot of founders about um, on a steady growth pace. I'd rather have a franchise partner. Um, we're talking to a partner right now with one of the, with one of our best clients um, who has intentions of taking down an entire marketplace. She, she capitalized to do so, has the experience to do so. Um, we would much rather start and say, hey, let's do this together once and let's have a plan to grow together so that you're not overextended on unit number one. And neither are we. We know where we are. We know how to grow together. And yes, you may want to have 10 units one day. Um, we'd rather start with one today and, and be able to grow from there. A lot of the reason that the, the brands can do that um, is because they set up their team and their business model in a way they can afford not to bring in as much on the front end. Um, so that's, to your point, very much how and why we focus that way. Um, and we see that as a really beneficial path for franchisors and especially these emerging less than 10 unit brands um, who have no intention of selling to private equity in the next 12 months or 36 months um, to grow appropriately. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I mean, every, everything you're saying is connecting with me and, and I think it, it's important. Uh, I mean, look, you, you, ha you have to put the franchisee at the forefront of this, even before the franchisor, because yeah. we're using someone else's life savings to, to win. I like your approach on multi-unit. I mean, my viewpoint is if I'm coaching a franchisor, I say sign a one unit deal, but qualify for three. And therefore, yeah. you know that they have the capital that they're not going to sweat the little things. They're actually going to invest mm -hmm. in scale. And so that, but again, in, in a broker world that doesn't resonate because then that bites into their commissions. Great. Then let's re reshape this and say, hey, broker, mm -hmm when our franchisee, we want you to qualify them for three or we want to qualify them for 10. Mm -hmm. Qualify them for 10. And when they open up two, we're going to pay you again. And when they open up three, we're going to pay you again. And when they open up four, mm -hmm. because now the royalty flow is coming off and that's how, mm -hmm. how you can partner with the brokers. I think unfortunately, yeah. the volume, fortunately and uh, unfortunately, the volume of candidates that are coming to the broker community is so high because the vast majority of buyers don't know what they want to buy. They know they have a little bit of money. They're intrigued by franchising. They never dreamt of owning a window washing franchise. They just get <laughs> placed into it. So I love what yeah. I love what you're saying. So switch it over to the, the business. Like, give me your why you why now. If, if a brand is thinking about X, this is why they reach out yeah. to you. Yeah, that's a great point. So we as you kind of scroll through our website here, um, which shout out to our director of marketing, just recently updated and did a beautiful job on. Um, the, uh, our, our what and our why for, for new brands is we, we focus very much, first and foremost, on building a strong franchise program 
and being able to establish a foundation for a franchise system that is scalable. So we have a, we have a process, Nick, that is generally built in three phases. Anybody that we connect with who is asking the question, why franchising, we love to speak with. And before we do anything, walk them through a very robust consultation on the franchise program, the franchise marketplace, and their business as a whole. So we like to break how we work with brands, we like to break it down in very bite-sized pieces. Um, we know a lot of these emerging concepts that are, they've, they've built these businesses without, most of the time without much debt, if any, um, on their own, you know, the skin of their own teeth. They, they've built these businesses regionally. They have money now. Um, they try to grow them. The last thing we want to do is have them over-invest into a, a process that says, hey, I know I want a franchise. Let's start to build the franchise program. We really put them through a very robust why franchising before we do anything else. So any brands that are ever interested in wanting to grow in this space, now you'll see we, we focus specifically mainly on um, brick-and-mortar uh, style businesses as well as, you know, we'll call them service, premium services. Um, so our main, you know, our, our biggest clients today Pure Sweat Studios, United Defense Tactical, Facial Works, Sit Still Kids, brick and mortar style businesses, um, premium service concepts that really take a, uh, a franchise owner uh, with high levels of empathy uh, and who wants to be an owner operator at the moment. They don't want, we have really no absentee owners inside of our systems at this point quite yet. But these brands essentially came to us and said, we want a franchise. What is it going to take? And then help us to build that system. So we, we like to take, you know, Nick, between... Somebody who comes to us and says, hey, I'm thinking about franchising. Um, before we ever get to a point where um, we mentioned a, a mutual friend and a good partner of ours, Charles, earlier, before I even get an introduction to Charles and his team on, hey, it's time to start drafting a franchise disclosure document, we have gone through an entire process of building out a business plan for franchising, a full 10-year pro forma and budget, and help these partners understand, hey, is this really the path at which you'd like to grow? And here are all the potential upside, downside, landmines, et cetera, um, at which you can go through. And here is a potential pathway to make that happen. Now, if they, if they say yes to franchising and yes to the franchise department, um, we jump into a more strategic build phase, um, which really is, we focus very specifically on before we launch franchise. And again, a lot of this goes back to the fact um, that Chris and I specifically in a majority of our team, we don't come from the, the, the development side of franchising. We're very much on the programming and the support side that's where we like to be that's where we think the success is early really early generated um when we do participate on the development side is that an internal basis um, as a part of that team helping to generate leads validate qualify and award candidates but our second part of this process and what, what typically will take four six eight months at any given time is really to build that franchise program we want to get everything in place before we ever set an fdd um out to launch and start to bring candidates in, inclusive of all of these systems, vendors, and processes, the software included, um, a full financial model and a, a full operations manual. Everything associated with being able to grow um, is really how we then take someone from yes to franchising, ready for franchising, and now franchise launch, which essentially is that, that third phase um, where they've completed the franchise disclosure document, the team is in place, they've understood their capitalization and budget, for a minimum the next three years with a 10-year path behind it. Um, and they can really start to decide how do they want to grow and strategically where are we going to do so. So a lot of what we do um, has generated from years of just meeting founders um, of great brands who want to franchise and don't know how and just spending as much time as is necessary 
to help them understand is franchising the right route. Um, if it's not, great. Let's get let's get that out of the way before we ever get to spending large sums of, of money on franchise disclosure documents, registrations, um, and the you know, awarding of franchise units. Um, but the process we put in place has come from again a lot of conversations with great founders who just don't know how to get there. Um, and, and and really, you know, we've had the luxury of being able to take the time with those brands to understand is it the right scenario. And now how do we grow from here? I love it. And look, if, if there's a buyer, let's, let's switch over to the franchisee for a second. If there's a buyer listening to what you just said, if, if I'm, if I'm the buyer and the six brands that I see on here, what I just heard is you, you vetted the shit out of these and you said, <laughs> these are viable businesses. And you talked about mm -hmm. programming and the CFO making sure that the financials are strong. Most brands aren't vetted like what you just said. And so if you're an organic buyer and you're saying, okay, where do I even start? If you could skip ahead and get down to the vetted brands, mm -hmm. then you're, you're already a step ahead. Now, whether, whether any of these categories are something that you could get passionate about is another question. Right. But fundamentally, what I just heard is we actually vetted all of these that actually prepares for strong vetting from, from a franchise buyer, because we would have advised these franchisors not to be franchisors, just stay a, a regular business if we didn't see how viable they were. And I think that's, that's super important to a buyer uh, that is trying to navigate, like what is franchise and where do I even start? Yeah. So what about on the, on the, on the franchise buyer standpoint, if you had to give a piece of advice I'm, I'm a novice. I have a little bit of money. I'm looking to get into it. I know you could give tons of advice, but where would you advise the buyer start? Yeah. Um, I mean, it certainly depends on where that buyer is and who the buyer is. But I like to really think about a, from a franchise partner perspective, it's a big part of our internal validation process. When someone does come to, let's say Pure Sweat Studios, for example, somebody comes to Pure Sweat Studios um, they've come to us organically. We're not really, we're not working there with, with consultants or brokers. Um, they say, I want to own a pure sweat, but I don't want to be in the business every day. It's a, use, to use that as the example, that's where we typically start is we really want to understand what is the purpose of this, this candidate, this potential franchise partner, and how do they fit within these businesses? My number one advice to everybody we talk to on that front is really understand what the day-to-day -day of this business is asking for from you and ensure that you know the responsibility matrix between you and the franchise partner. And when we work specifically, Nick, a lot of these brands are emerging in the emerging category. Um, we don't have an Orange Theory Fitness on our, on our portfolio, right? We don't have a 2000 unit brand with hundreds of team members and perfectly set software systems that are going to essentially automate everything a franchise partner has to do. We lean very heavily on the strengths of our franchise partners to help not only in their local communities, but in the franchise system as a whole, and it's ensuring, is that what you want as a franchise partner? Do you want to help to continue to strengthen this franchise system? And do you want to be inside of your unit and a face in your unit? Not necessarily the manager. Again, a lot of these being, you know, these are there is a, a component of management and, and people services needed in most of our brands, in most brands in general. Not necessarily the manager, but a presence in your studio, in your store, in your facility, in your training center. Is that what you want? And if it is, Great. Look at a brand like this. Understand that there's going to be a period of time where um, if you have a full-time job, you, you've just brought another one on. And that is going to be your life for a period of time as you transition from one thing to the next. Um, but it really is understanding what do you want out of the business itself? We talked about passion a moment ago. 
Um, the brands you see here, the brands in general that everybody's looking at in franchising, they want to be passionate about what the service is be, that is being provided. Um, we always talk very specifically about be passionate about what the, the founding team has built in terms of culture and consumer service. If you are passionate about what we are delivering, whether it be training in unit defense tactical, uh, a hydrofacial and facial works, or a, a sauna um, and a contrast therapy treatment in pure sweat, be conscious and cognizant of what that founder has built in terms of their consumer experience and make sure you resonate with it. That is going to be what you're working through the entire time. Um, regardless, again, it could be home stretch, which is preparing homes for, uh, for higher value resale. It could be anything of the sort, but ensure you are binded to what the company's real culture and purpose is and that you can live and grow with that for at a minimum a 10 year period. I think people can be, people can get passionate and fall in and out of love with certain types of services, um, but really understanding, hey, what does this take as an owner? Um, what is this going to take from me? What is the franchise we're going to bring to me? And do I love the way they operate? Um, that means a lot in terms of how we talk to candidates. And um, for us, again, a lot of it is, you know, we'll, we'll say emerging brand category, especially. Um, somebody comes to us and says, hey, this is an investment tool for me. Um, you know, I'm already invested in 10 different franchise concepts. I want to get into this one. Um, it's early. You know, I think that's a cool thing. I can get a lot out of that. Um, I'm going to have my management team come in and run a lot of this. Um, for us, that would raise a red flag that we'd make sure we speak to the candidate about. Is that, hey, listen, this is not, we are not at this moment ready um, or really looking for absentee, semi-absentee owners um, who want to come in and be an investment tool. These brands, especially as they're young, take a lot of, they still take a lot of grit um, to be able to run and grow. Um, and just be sure, again, this is an investment for, for those people. It's an investment tool. It should benefit everybody. It should be, you know, the brands that we work with have strong economics. It's easy to see in the item 19s that they're profitable and that they're like, and end of the day, we're increasing net worth, value, et cetera, for our franchise partners. Um, but what we make sure they don't miss is what does that mean on a day-to-day basis? What does that mean? Do I need to spend five hours on this? Um, do, I, do I agree with the way that we speak to, to our customers? Um, do I agree with the way that we, we sell and talk about our services? Um, for me, that's for us, that's always a big one because it's fundamental to the relationship with the brand. Um, and we've seen that to be one of the first things that deteriorates if there is a fundamental misalignment on brand culture or the service providing on a, on a unit level basis. I think it's fantastic advice uh, on the culture piece. Uh, Charles and I actually did an interview with a guy from Footprints Floors uh, and he was a restaurant guy. He lo- loved restaurants. He worked in restaurants. He was a GM and he went to Discovery Days uh, with restaurant brands and he mm-hmm. landed on one. He said, this is the brand that I'm, I'm into. And he went to the Discovery Day and he said, the CEO is an asshole. Uh, <laughs> so the culture pushed him out from restaurants and into flooring. And, yeah. but it's, it's interesting because the, the, the only two things that push people over edge are the business model and the culture yet mm-hmm. very few brands, what you just said, even, even understand the fundamentals of how the brand communicates its message to the consumer. Yeah. Uh, if you disagree with that, then you're already, you're playing from behind. Most brands don't start with that position on their website. It just says franchise or franchise, yeah. franchise in a category that's unknown or, or, or wide open, whatever. Emerging in the, Emerging. the, the market is booming. And we, right, you know, we, right. we talk about, we talk a lot about item. We're, I mean, we're numbers based guys. And they talk a lot, a lot about item seven, a lot about item 19. And we spend a lot of time on that. Those things are important. The, the second most important thing I, I always tell people 
is ensure as you're reviewing the item 19 that it's a robust and complete item 19. Um, if it's got the Internet Cola name on it, usually it is. But more often than not, what people miss in that initial investment, we, what we saw a lot of early in our careers was under un, not only undercapitalized franchisors, undercapitalized franchisees that came into a system, assumed it was going to cost one thing to open up um, and getting to a point in which they were so undercapitalized um, and inappropriately funded uh, in a lot of cases, whether their own fault or their lenders from a, a positioning perspective, um, that they could no longer invest in the business. So our, our other piece of advice is, and if you look at the FDDs of the brands that we that we work with, you'll notice, you know, we're not we're not so worried about the bottom number and the top number in terms of where they land, whether it's under 400 or under six. That that really isn't what impacts how we like to build franchise systems. And the reason we do that is because we want to make sure and everybody who comes in has an appropriate amount of capital where they, if if needed can reinvest into that business and do so early. Because second point of deterioration, um, which you know, a franchisee doesn't validate, a franchisee cannot grow. Um, if they're you know, typically not profitable, profitability month one is, is, a, is a very difficult thing to do on a month over month break even basis. We wanna make sure that they are prepared for, it's going to cost more than you anticipate and you're going to need to spend more, especially early. So that'd be the second thing we always align on. Um, and we make sure when we build item sevens, they are, Again, they're usually higher than our competitors in the space, and, and that's for good reason. Uh, James, you've said nothing that I disagree with. Uh, <laughs> love this conversation. Uh, glad that we had it. Uh, for anybody that has lasted this long and wants to reach out, go to the franchise DEPT.com or find, find James on LinkedIn. He's, he's on there too. So for James... <laughs> I'm Nick. This is more of a meet the supplier, but I put it as meet the Zor because you're so in tuned and so dialed into the franchise or side. So James, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks, we appreciate it. it.